This is a podcast from meow.net. M-I-A-A-W dot net. Meow! Welcome to Genuine Inquiry, a monthly series of audio essays, each of which interrogates a topic close to our hearts. Hello, my name's Owen Kelly, and today I'm here with Ed Carroll, who we've spoken to previously. Now, today I'm talking to Ed not about uh, his theatre activities, not about his participatory art activities, but about the Faro Convention, on which he is uh, knowledgeable, and certainly much more knowledgeable than me. What, you might ask, is the Faro Convention? So before I get Ed to talk to us, let me just explain a little in case you're as ignorant about it as I was several months ago. The Faro Convention was signed in 2005. It's the Council of Europe's framework convention on the value of cultural heritage for society. It has a long preamble that recognizes all the things you might want it to recognize. And it has uh, four primary aims. The parties to this convention agree to, A, recognize that rights relating to cultural heritage are inherent in the right to participate in cultural life, as defined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. B, recognize individual and collective responsibility towards cultural heritage. C, emphasize that the conservation of cultural heritage and its sustainable use have human development and quality of life as their goal. And D, take the necessary steps to apply the provisions of this convention concerning the role of cultural heritage in the construction of a peaceful and democratic society and in the processes of sustainable development and the promotion of cultural diversity and greater synergy of competences amongst all the public, institutional, and private actors concerned. Now that, in the official language, is what the Faro Convention is for. But my first came, I first came across it in practice at ICAF, where members of the Faro Convention had organized, or members of the Council of Europe, had organized a seminar, a workshop, about the Faro Convention. And I have to confess, I came away knowing no more about the Faro Convention at the end of the workshop than I did at the start. There were four projects involved in this workshop, one of which we've already looked at, the Marseille River Project, where I talked to Charlie Fox. There were three other projects. Each project seemed interesting in its own right, and each project presented itself as in some ways springing out of the Faro Convention, but I didn't get any umbrella talk. There was no umbrella talk, and there seemed to be no way in which I could put them all together and figure out what they had in common and what actually linked them to the Faro Convention. Having posed those very difficult questions, I'm now going to introduce Ed and say, Ed, um, how, in your opinion, did the Faro Convention come about? And I know you might not have been there, but what do you know about its beginnings and what problems was it supposed to be the answer to? Uh, well, I think what you've done is uh, you've pinned, you, you've uh, 
pitched up very nicely the problematic uh, of Farrell. Um, and let's see whether in, in our exchange and discussion we, we, we can we can come to some sort of insight into where where its uh, its direction is. Like I suppose one of the, the the interesting things, just to go back on, on what you're saying, the Council of Europe is is probably an institution, you know, alongside let's say United Nations and uh, the European Union, that's probably less known. In, in terms of in the broader sort of field, people think always get it mixed up with the European Union or, or, or whatever. And I think one of its distinctive roles and one of its distinctive contributions has been the contribution it's made to culture, actually, and to what our understanding of what culture is. And I'm going back like to probably 1976 when there was a, a, a meeting of the European uh, uh, ministers of culture, which really tried to define a, a sort of a... A, a, a future direction for cultural policy, cultural democracy today. And one of the, the insights, I think, that comes out from the European, the Council of Europe approach is this, that the, if you want to ask me what is the Faro Convention, then the best way to understand what the Faro Convention is, is to look towards human rights, rule of law and democracy. So in other words, that you don't try and understand, let's say, uh, the Faro Convention from, with, from within the subject of itself, i.e. cultural heritage, but you try to understand whether cultural heritage has a function, has a role, has an efficacy in terms of contributing to rule of law, human rights and democracy. So for, for me, this is, a, is, is an interesting play. Because as you know, Owen, let's say when we look at community arts, people spend many, many decades asking, what is community arts? And I think it's a valid discourse and it's a valid discussion. But I think it's much more interesting to ask, what has been the contribution of community arts to human rights, rule of law and democracy? So for, for me, this, this is, uh, is, is, is really like a... a I, I suppose something that perplexes. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually delighted that you came away not knowing any more about the Faro Convention, but that through the practices, let's say, in Hotel du Nord in, in the river in Marseille, or, 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 or the others that were presented there, you get a sense that here is a local context trying to make an impact in terms of democracy, local democracy, rule of law, and human rights. Okay. That I understand, and that, that much I did, in fact, get from the seminar, yes. But what I didn't understand, and in fact still don't, is what the particular role of the Faro Convention is in this. Does it, has, has it set up, or has there been set up, some sort of grant-giving agency or some sort of administration or publishing agency if I, for example, in Helsinki, started a local project that I felt fitted in with the aims of the Faro Convention, I did believe that what I was doing was going to make a contribution to cultural in Helsinki, to uh, democracy in Helsinki, and to a belief in diver diversity and a, a way in which people could live together. So I understand that. And then I learn about, or I come to believe this, this is what the aim of the project is. 
or what are the intended outcomes of the project are. And then I hear about the Faro Convention. And I think, oh, yes, that convention chimes with what I'm attempting to do. What do I do next? Well, I think it's interesting you mentioned Helsinki because very often uh, people are practicing the Faro Convention without them actually naming it, we're fa- practicing the Faro Convention. So particularly in the context of Helsinki, uh, a, a group of, of activists, architects, artists and others uh, produced a set of pamphlets about how urban planning was being rolled out by Helsinki City Council. And they were very, very critical of the fact that there was something about the unique cultural heritage of that city that was being overlooked, that was being destroyed, that was being extracted solely for economic gain and economic value in a way which would result in a loss of a real sense of identity for the city and of peoples uh, and of the communities of the city uh, and of their history and, uh, and of their, their lo- local culture. So I, I think Helsinki is, is, is actually that, that example of the, of the set of pamphlets that was produced in, in Helsinki is a good example of sometimes how people practice Faro without knowing it. So what is Faro then? Well, actually, it is a focus, as you say, on cultural heritage. But it does two very interesting things. Normally, when we speak about cultural heritage, we often think about what's called a registered cultural heritage, the official cultural heritage, the cultural heritage that's uh, propagated by the city or by the state around this is our national Finnish culture, Lithuanian culture, Irish culture. And I think what Faro does is it, it, it puts into, um, let's say, cultural heritage, a real practical example of cultural uh, of, of culture in practice, which is that culture is what a group of people say is their cultural heritage. And it also introduces the idea of a heritage community. Uh, this is in Article 2. And the heritage community is interesting because it's not the experts. It's not the official culture that is designating what culture is. But it's a group of people that come together around local history, local identity, local culture, not as something simply as a memory of the past, but as something that they're standing in today that is still living and pulsating for them today. So in, in, in that sense, the, this is, a, I think, a unique contribution that uh, Faro makes. It pushes culture heritage out of its institutional frame towards a local involvement towards a local participation. It, it, it's basically saying that cultural heritage is not something that we tell you what your cultural heritage is, but you define your own cultural heritage, not as an individual, but as a, as a group of people who live together or in a, in a, in a context. Is that helpful? Is that, does that give yes, some that, insight? That, yes, that explains quite a lot. Thank you, Ed. Uh, how, what mechanisms does the Faro Convention use or have at its disposal. When I say the Faro Convention, I'm aware here now that's an abstract, that's a piece of paper. So that doesn't have any resources. It's a piece of paper that a number of signatories uh, agreed to. Having that signed by the member states, it's now 
part of the Council of Europe's official policy, correct? Yes, yes. So does that mean that the Council of Europe puts some of its resources into uh, supporting work that it sees as aligned with or further developing the ideas in the Faro Convention? Well, I suppose one, one of the things that is, I, I suppose that is that makes Faro stand out is that it's a framework convention. So it's not a convention that tells you this is what you must do, this is how you must do it. Uh, it when when a state ratifies the Faro Convention, let's say in I think in the last you know year or two years, uh, Estonia has ratified it, uh, Poland ratified it, Netherlands ratified it. Uh, Spain has ratified it, um, and in in some of those cases, as um, as a, as a sort of oh, by the way, Italy ratified it too. In 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 some of those cases, the national government, in terms of the national ministry of culture, would promote then the development of a national network. Uh, let's say in Spain, there's a new national network for Faro Convention. There is in Italy, there's a national network, and I think the national network then develops a, a, a program. But you know that's that's at the at the official level. I think what what interestingly how the Faro Convention evolved within the Council of Europe was that it decided to create this thing called a Faro Convention network. And you, you you know you can look at the at the at the at this on the Council of Europe website if you do a search for a Faro Convention network. And there are a number of people and groups that are members of that Faro Convention network. But I think in, in terms of what it was proposing with the Faro Convention network was that it wanted to create local practice sites. In other words, local heritage communities that were really almost operating out of beyond a, a national, uh, what the national government was doing. So in some cases, for instance, let's say in Lithuania, uh, we are practicing faro in our community uh, in in conus but the national government hasn't even you know ratified faro convention so there is this opportunity for uh, let's say um a, a, a discourse or a tension between what the state is doing in terms of cultural policy and what maybe a local neighborhood is doing or what a local city is doing um for instance also let's say for instance novi sad uh, in Serbia, it 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 you know it follows a Faro Convention process. It's 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 trying to practice it uh, in in a way that maybe sometimes the systems and the organ you know the 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 mechanics of the state isn't able to do so easily. It's not able to turn on a sixpence so easily. So for me, I think the Faro Convention network is an interesting mechanism by which local contexts are able to put in practice how Faro might operate at a local level. But it, it doesn't do it, let's say, with a budget from the, uh, from the Council of Europe. It doesn't do it with, let's say, an annual uh, clear set of actions that it takes from the Council of Europe. The local area develops its action plan. It presents its action plan on you know a three yearly basis, it puts it in front of some other members, uh, and the other members say you could do this, you could do that, you could do something else, you know. So it's really like a peer, self-managed, self-organized 
uh, framework that the Faro Action Plan operates out of. And the Faro uh, Convention Network itself is not like a funded network. It's really like we're always making the joke we are poor, we are small, but we have this sense that we want to transcend our own self, our own local context. And we want to transcend our own local context by being in contact with other locals that are also trying to to work with in very different circumstances, but trying to work with uh, Faro at a local level. I think you, you raise a point that, well, you raise several points that are very interesting, but one particularly struck me, which is when you were talking about people operating as part of the Faro Convention network, whilst living in countries that aren't yet signatories to the Faro Convention. And I was thinking about the locus of power and what that, what that says about that. And I was reminded in a strange way of Michael Bloomberg's attempts when he was mayor of New York to essentially, well, he started the city network. And his point was essentially that power should be localized to cities rather than uh, a, a large elements of activities of political decisions should end up with cultural decisions, should end up with cities rather than states. And it sounds to me at an even more local level that what the Faro Community Network, the Convention Network, is attempting something similar to that. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that this uh, this focus on the pinhead of the local um, you know I, I, I like I I think we all know this people don't feel connected to nations of course they do in some ways in that sort of broad political sense but people generally don't feel their connection to nations they don't feel their connection to cities people feel connected to the place where they live to the corner shop to the corner um, meeting points this sense of being local, being grass-rooted, being homespun, being homegrown. I think there is a very strong sense in which, if one looked at the pulse of contemporary culture today, people feel this sense of the local very strongly. And I, I think in some ways, this is an aspect that I think Faro uh, operates in very well. Um, I, I think when we look at this sort of, you know, interplay between what traditionally is termed cultural heritage and contemporary cultural expression, I think Faro really keeps a very nice tension between not, not cutting off that it's just about the past or it's just about the present, but tries to keep the past and the present in, in tension with each other. I think also in terms of, you know, the local, when it comes to public spaces and private spaces, is also another interesting tension that the Pharaoh, I think, plays with very, very well. Not breaking the tension, like, let's make everything public, let's make everything private, but trying to see the interplay of how cultural space is organised in between the pull of e economics to privatisation of space and the pull of cultural democracy to public, to public making public spaces. Uh, I think also the other aspect that I think is a little bit special in relation to Faro is 
very often the type of problems that we come up against when we confront the local, when we see the local evolve over time, is we, we come up against really very complex problems that can't be solved locally, can't be solved regionally, and can't be solved nationally. And it seems to me this is the other aspect that I think is quite, why, why, I, why, I'm, why I'm very committed to Faro, is that I think some of the problematics that we have to face at a local level, let's say, for instance, if I speak very specifically in our city, you know, our, our city has, you know, it, well, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been suggested in, in, a, in, a, in the courts, uh, and there's a currently a court case about this, that our city is run by an organized crime group. Now, that's a very complex problem, okay, that our local community feels the effects of by the way private spaces, public spaces are suddenly transformed into private spaces and then sold and then developed as sort of huge, you know, uh, housing developments or otherwise. But I, I think some of the problems related to, let's say, organized crime, you're not going to solve that on the local level on the regional level. As a, as a small community response, I think you need the support, the energy, the advice, the peer help that you get from being connected to other trans locals, let's say in terms of Marseille, for instance, where we had a very particular relationship that also had a long experience whereby public mechanisms of the city were being used for private interest rather than public interest. So for me, there's two aspects, the local and the, the sort of the, the focus on the local, and then also this focus on the translocal, which means that the, some of the problematics of the local can't be solved simply uh, through recourse to city or national uh, level, need this transnational cooperation. That sounds uh, extraordinarily uh, useful and good. Uh, so, and it's also, it's something that I profoundly believe in myself. Can I ask you a practical question? How often does the network meet and how do you, in practice, support each other? So, for example, to follow up your, your own example, in Kaunas, uh, you're saying there is a question of uh, probity about local government and how it operates. So, and you would, are you... I think I totally agree with you. That's not something you can solve with a neighborhood association. Probably not something you can even solve in Kaunas or indeed maybe in Lithuania uh, for all sorts of reasons to do with the fact that organized crime tends not to be <laughs> built around a single corner shop, does it? So in that sense, I fully understand why you would need translocal support. How in practice, to using that as an example, do you go about getting it? Yeah, it, 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 um, I, I think one, one of the characteristics about the Farah Convention Network, I, I, I would use, by the way, a, a little analogy with meow.net in, in this sense that you, as I understand it, I, I'm, you know, uh, I'm an outsider to it at some level, but you, you work uh, using that nice phrase of Francois Matarazzo without help and without permission. You don't wait for someone to commission you. You don't I wait. Know, for, true. You know, you true. don't wait until the funding is there. And I think the Faro Convention really as a network 
we, we operate really without help and without permission. We operate on the basis that we, 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 we enjoy each other. We, we've connected, you know, to different contexts. And we, uh, every year we, we, we develop a series of, of, uh, of ideas or plans, for instance. And I think this is a, an interesting one in relation to, um, to what we've been doing over the last year. We've put a very particular focus in our research on cultural rights. Because I think one of the things that I, I, I think has been, which has been really underdeveloped, is what we mean by cultural rights. And who are the rights holders for culture? And so, for instance, when 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 you look at, let's say, for instance, uh, you know, let's say the, a, a problematic of the tension between private interest and public interest, then the question of cultural rights is a very important question in this, because culture allows you to express the tension. It allows you to put words, to put voice on the tension, not maybe in terms of, you know, political words or in terms of, uh, you know, a, 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 a social agenda, but it allows you to use culture to be able to express what has been on not yet been able to express itself through cultural means. And I think we, we, we found uh, this has been one of the, the, the values of, of, of the network is that it's, it, it allows us to put into words a problematic of that we find on a day-to-day -day existence in the city, but using cultural expression. So, for instance, let's say I know with other Faro Network members that they say uh, what CONUS has given to us is that we really understand how community arts really makes sense in relation to cultural heritage. It really makes sense because it gives cultural heritage the possibility to express itself in a variety of languages, whether it's a dramatic form, whether it's an opera, whether it's a painting, whether it's a suitcase, but where the imagination is used to express a contemporary issue in relation to cultural heritage. Uh, can, can I interrupt you there, Ed? Um, I'm really interested in the notion of cultural heritage in the way that you're applying it here, which is very definitely not, as you said earlier, an attempt to uh, freeze the past in, in amber or whatever. So could you just uh, uh, explain a little about what the idea of cultural heritage means to you and by implication to other members of the network? Uh, I, I think that the first thing that we would say is that cultural heritage is not the object. Um, I think that's the first thing, because very often people put the white glove. Once you mention cultural heritage, the white glove goes on, the curator comes into the room and uh, it's already a closed space. So the first thing is the cultural heritage is not the object. The second thing is that uh, cultural heritage is in some is is in some way uh, created or produced by a community. A collective of people so that in some ways the you know the, the cultural heritage is, is something that's uh, it's 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 not in that sense of a, uh, what you might term a selfie it's 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 a group portrait it's something that reflects the identity the sense of who we are the sense of belonging that we have so that's the second aspect 
uh, of culture. And the third aspect of culture heritage, I think, is that it really has to have avenues for mediation because, you know, uh, it, it, it's not simply, let's say, for instance, in, in, in terms of our community context, we don't have a museum. We don't have any cultural space that we can call our own. But we created an opera which was about the history, the heritage of a community of just 100 years old. So not even old cultural heritage. But when people perform that cultural heritage, they're not simply performing uh, in, in a sense, uh, a reminder of the past. They are performing a living cultural heritage that is pulsating for people today. So to my mind, this, this is where the definition of, of cultural heritage gets interesting, that it's not the object, it's not simply who has produced it in the past, but it's how it's lived and performed and celebrated and contested, by the way, because it often is conflictual too, but it's contested in the present, in, in the present moment. Okay. Um, that's something I, I heartily agree with, by the way. I would just say you now that I think that the definition you've just given is one I would certainly uh, not want to disagree with. Can I ask one further question then, which is about the relationship between states and communities, something that's interested me for some time. Now, I notice that Latvia is a signatory to the Faro Convention and Lithuania isn't. And I've also noticed that Finland and Norway are signatories to the Faro Convention and Denmark and Sweden aren't. So I suppose my question here is, is there any advantage for either of us uh, in persuading either the state we're living in, in your case, Lithuania, or the states that are neighbours, in my case, Sweden and Denmark, to sign the convention? Does it matter? Would you, how would your circumstances change if the Lithuanian government decided to sign the convention? And would it be worth your efforts trying to persuade them to do such? Or does it simply not matter? I think it, it does matter, actually, on um, Lithuania hasn't signed the, the FARO Convention, and we, we would certainly try to advocate that they would. Uh, actually, the next uh, meeting of the FARO uh, network is taking place on the 21st uh, and 22nd of June in Konus. Um, and so we, we, we will be sort of saying, you know, to the state, please, you know, think to sign this, you know. Uh, next year, Lithuania is um, is the... Uh, it, it is the what's what's it called? It chairs the the Council of Ministers of the Council of Europe. So it has a six month chairing of this presidency of of the Council of Europe. And again, we would be making the point: yeah, do it. But I, I'd go back to where I started out from. The purpose of signing the Faro Convention is not to sign the. It's not simply about just the Faro Convention. The purpose of signing the Faro Convention is about furthering uh, the idea of cultural rights. You know, we, 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 we have spoken for decades that everyone has the right to participate actively in culture. Everyone has the right not just to be a recipient of culture, but to be a creator and co-creator of culture. I don't know of any other way in which to see the furthering of cultural rights 
if we don't get the national governments focused on the idea that cultural rights needs to be practiced. And I think signing the, the Farrow Convention is a way in which the state shows itself to be moving towards practicing uh, cultural rights in terms of, of, of the frame of cultural heritage. So that, that would be my, my answer to that question. Like there are, there are other initiatives. You know, I, I really like, let's say, the Rome Charter. I don't know if you've come across the Rome Charter, but yes, United, yes, Cities, lo- United Cities local government, you know, have created the Rome Charter, which is trying to get local authorities to, to, to really practice cultural rights. And I, I, I think in the same domain, Faro Convention operates at the, at the, at the national level, tr- you know, really uh, giving governments instruments in order to, to make cultural rights uh, real. Right. Okay. Um, I think we've covered most of what I was hoping we would cover there, Ed. I think that we've, during the course of this like, 32 minutes or whatever, I think there have been a number of topics that have come up. We could run a whole series of podcasts based on what we've talked about, what mainly you've talked about here, which is, which, which would include certainly looking at cultural rights, which I think is something that, that is very, very important. Also looking at the notion of the translocal and how that works. And also looking at the idea that there are networks that are sanctioned by official bodies, but not funded by them, that are able to pursue autonomous work where larger state organizations or the Council of Europe see them as trailblazers or pathfinders rather than seeing them as so often happens as branch offices. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I, I think, you know, going back to the Farrow Convention Network, like, you know, you, one of the questions you asked me, how would I join it if I wanted to? Um, and I, 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 I would say, really, the Farrow Convention Network is not one of these networks that's going to, you know, expand itself out like Transoropals or, or some of these fantastic networks that operate at, at, at European and beyond levels. But I, I think it is about really uh, establishing a set of people who are operating in practice sites uh, for sustainability, for equality, for cultural rights in, in a way where it's really not about. And I, I'm always a little bit sort of uh, worried when I'm making these sorts of question and answer sessions that I'm sort of inadvertently sort of saying, look, you know, what we're doing in our little place in Shanxi is a model that you should follow. No, it's that's not the point here. What the point is that it's it's the it's the it's the it's the area between what we're doing here, between what's been done in Romania, in the other network, in France. It's it's the it's the conversation between us. It's the exchange between us. It's the water between us. That's the important point. And I I, I really think in that sense, this what I what I see is the real hope of the Faro Convention Network is really about reinvigorating how civil society operates in relation to cultural rights. And that for me is, 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 is what's interesting. Not about sort of trying to say, oh, listen, there's a great practice over here that you haven't heard about. Come and look, see if you can cut and paste it and put it in your place in, in wherever. It, it's not about that. It's about really trying to reinvigorate the space 
in which civil society is in dialogue with itself and between itself, so as not to invigorate civil society, but so as to reinvigorate rule of law, human rights and democracy. Thank you, Ed. I couldn't have concluded the podcast more eloquently if I tried. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for the time. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Bye for now. Bye for now. Now that you've heard the podcast, please go to the website. There you'll find much more details about topics talked about, links to references, and much more. You can find the website at meow.net. That's M-I-A-A-W dot net. See you there.